All right, you guys. Wow. All right. <laughs> they don't listen. <laughs> all right, all right. Ooh. I know why you guys were doing that so much tonight, because it was the Spirit of God was in this place. And I know that's what happens when, when we experience that the way we did tonight. I mean, there's this joy that just fills our hearts, and we just want to share it with everybody. I mean, those songs that we sung tonight, I mean, Cameron, and he had me bawling when he was up here sharing his heart with us. You know, and I don't cry like the pastor does, but uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm a tough man. You talk to my family. But when it comes to Jesus, I, I'll tell you, man, I could be a blubbering idiot at times. But I was, I was just struck at the songs we were singing and just uh, talking about the brokenness that we all have. And we do, don't we? We all do. I thank God for his amazing grace that's trying to put us back together again. Amen? Amen. God is so good. He is so great. He really is. Man, I don't know what to do. <laughs> we got we to gotta teach. We got to do. But you guys love the Lord, don't you? You really do. And I know you do, and for any of us that gets up here and teach, we know you hunger for the Word of God, and that you love to hear the Word of God, and we're so thankful for that. It's easy to feed people that are hungry. It really is. You know, I've got a little grandkid now. I tell you what, when he doesn't want to eat, he's not eating. That's just how it is. If I ask him, are you hungry? He goes, no, I'm not hungry. And his mom wants me to feed him, and I can't. So I'm grandpa, so I just let him do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> I don't care anymore. <laughs> I really don't. You know, that's what I'm saying. There's the pastor over there. I'm just a guy having fun. <laughs> well, we're going to continue through on our section of Scripture as we're going through Corinthians. You guys are enjoying it, I hope. You know, it's hitting on a lot of different things. We're, I've got a pretty unique section tonight, and uh, Dustin had a pretty good one last week. I wanted to listen to it, but it wasn't on, it wasn't on our uh, website yet and stuff, but... You know, Paul, the mighty Paul, fatherly Paul's already dressed divisions in the church, divisions to tear that church apart, and he tried to just nip it in the bud as quick as he could, and we need to do that. He dealt with improper sexual relationships already, a guy with his mother-in-law uh, two weeks ago. It's amazing, I'm back two weeks later. I usually don't get around too quick on the rotation like this, but I talked about lawsuits and Christians and shared with you, you know, I'm heading into that. That'll be coming up in September. And then also last week, as I said, Dustin got a pretty heavy section of scripture dealing with kind of sexual immorality and stuff like that. One of the things that get people quiet, you talk about money and you talk about sex. And uh, that kind of has an impact. And tonight I get to talk about the last one, the sex part. Uh, 1 Corinthians six fifteen through 22, though, I want to shoot back a little bit last, last week. And it should be the Phillips translation. We have that on there? I hope we, we do have that on there. 
There you go. It says this. Have you not realized that your bodies are integral parts of Christ himself? Am I then to take parts of Christ and join them to a prostitute? Never, Paul says. Don't you realize that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, he makes with her a physical unity? For God says the two shall become one flesh. On the other hand, the man who joins himself to the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's what we were doing tonight. Avoid sexual looseness like a plague. And another version says, run from it. Run from it. Every other sin that a man commits is done outside his body, but this is an offense against his own body. Have you forgotten that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is God's gift to you? And that you are not the owner of your own body. You have been bought with the bought and at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. That's hard to do in the society that we live in. It was hard for the Corinthian church to experience that too. Joseph, you know the guy in the Old Testament. Remember, he was a very handsome man and he had this, his owner's boss, his wife was chasing after him and, and he pushed that whole thing off. It's tough. It's, it's really, really tough to live in a society like that and that's where we are. Tonight, Paul starts chapter 7. He begins to answer the questions that this church, this Corinthian church, wrote him. So the first section, he's dealing with things that are on his heart and on his mind, trying to deal with what he felt he needed to speak to this church about. And now chapter 7 begins to start this whole section of answering their questions. The only problem, we don't have their question. We've got Paul's answer. So we have to somewhat kind of figure out what these questions were that they were asking. We know that he was asking about marriage, divorce, singleness, food sacrifice to idols, worship, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, and in chapter 15, about the resurrection. This message that I'm preaching tonight, it's rated R. It's rated R, right out of the Bible. That's what it is. Let's all stand up as I read these verse, few verses. And let's honor God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that it addresses, I believe, all the issues that we face as Christians. Give us clarity tonight, Lord. Help us to hear you, Lord. May your spirit speak, even as I speak, Lord. Touch every heart that's in this place, Lord. And help us to do your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Why don't you all sit down? It appears what this church was trying to get at was to ask Paul something. Is it okay to be married? Is it okay to be married in in kind of where we're at in, in the place that we're living. And I want to give you a little background on that because I think it's very important for us to, to get some background, to get some understanding. Corinth was a very deprived and very wicked city. It really was. I mean, it's like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Hollyweird, you know, just very, that's what we always called it. I used to live down, not in Hollyweird, but I used to live down that way. But it was deprived. 
You know what would happen in, in the evening times, the, the, uh, the priestesses, who really, what they really were, were the prostitutes. They would come out of the temple that was up there, and they would go out in there, and they'd find and try and seduce men and get money from them, and they would use that money to take care of the temple that was there. That's the kind of life that they lived at. That's the kind of society that they lived in. It was tough. I mean, and they were trying to figure out how, how are we supposed to live in such a sexually charged society? And we're facing those kind of things even today. Some of the Greeks that were rejecting immorality, they figured a way that they could do that was just, you know what, let's just take sex out of the marriage. Let's just get that completely out of the whole thing. See, because there was this thought, and this I hope you to understand. They thought to be spiritual, you should be celibate. You, you, you should live a single lifestyle. That's what they equated to being a spiritual person, is to do that. There was weird teachings that were going on in Corinth, just like there is from time to time in the church. You know, I've lived long enough in the church and preached long enough in church that just see tons and tons of teachings that go out there. One of their teachings was this, that the, the body was completely evil. It was completely evil. Now, we know that the Bible says our hearts are wicked. That's who we are. And what they got out of that was two attitudes. What they got was that the spirit's the most important part. So what you do in your body, it's okay. It's just you can commit adultery, you can have immorality, you can do any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. It, does, it doesn't bother your spiritual life. We know that's not the truth. And then the other side of that, that other attitude was that they needed to uh, refrain from all natural desires and urges. And that all those natural desires and urges that are there, they're all evil. So just be single. Just live like a single person. There, there was asceticism that was there, and that's kind of the culture that they had, which was that there was severe self-discipline of yourself. Avoiding all forms of indulgence. All of you guys that like chocolate, you'd be sinning if you, you know, ate chocolate all of the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Amplified says this. Now as to the matter which you wrote me, it is well, and by that I mean advantageous, expedient, profitable, and wholesome for a man not to touch a woman, to cohabitate with her, but to remain unmarried. But because of the temptation to impurity and to avoid immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Not to touch there literally means, if you go all the way back into Genesis, talking about sexual intercourse. The thought that is coming on here is that celibacy is a good thing. Well, is it a good thing? Celibacy is not a very natural thing. It really isn't. God commanded all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. I think you guys remember that. He said, multiply and be fruitful. That's what he commanded mankind to do, to do that. Paul believed, and you have to understand something. We'll get a little bit more into this. Paul believed that celibacy was a good thing and that you could serve God a lot easier. And there is truth to that. But he says, listen, sexual immorality is so rampant among you. He says, it's better that, listen, that you have your own wife or your own husband. It's easier that way, is what he's trying to say there. And the emphasis is upon one partner. He, he's, he's not endorsing polygamy, not having more than one wife, or more than one husband. That usually doesn't happen, but having more than one, one wife. 
trouble happens when you have that. I got enough trouble with just one, you know. My wife's not here tonight because she knows kind of thing. Anywhere in the Old Testament where they had more than one wife, there was trouble. You think about it. It was tough. Truly was. Question. Let me ask you guys this. Was Paul married? How many of you believe Paul was married? How many of you believe Paul was married at one time? Hmm, you all think that he was single. That's interesting. He probably was a married man. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because he was part of the Sanhedrin. And those were the ruling elders of Israel. And for them to be part of the Sanhedrin, the qualification was that you needed to be married. So what has gone down through history is probably that he might have been a widower or the possibility is that his wife left him when he gave his life to Christ. That she didn't want anything to do with him because here was this Jewish believer that had totally said, you know what, I'm believing in this man, Jesus, the Messiah. Let's go on. Verse 3 through 5. The husband shall fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And then verse 5, excuse me, it says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the rated R section. Fulfilling your spouse's sexual needs. You know, sexual relationships in marriage is a good thing. It truly is. But it's not the only reason why people should be getting married. It's not the only reason. What he's talking about here is that there is a debt, and that's literally what it's talking about there in the Greek, that there's a debt. There's an obligation to fulfill your mate's sexual needs. That's what he's talking about there. To provide, the responsibility to provide that an individual person. I'm not going to get too much into that, but my wife and I counseled a couple one time that was having trouble in this whole area. That's true. It does happen. Those needs are real. They really are. And verse 4 there says, your bodies aren't your own. In, in a marriage relationship, my wife's body isn't hers and my body's I don't know how I can say that. You know, they're, 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 they're each, we're to yield ourselves to each other. We're to give that authority and that control to that individual. And, and what I'm talking about there is that willingness to give. That sensitivity that needs to be there. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I know how that happens. It's communication. Boy, it's quiet. <laughs> how, how are you sensitive to, to that individual's, you know, uh, needs that they have, that physical need that they have in the marriage relationship. You communicate about it. Communication is the key to marriage, guys. That's it. You're, talk, you're seeing a gray-haired, bald-haired old man that's been married a long, long time, longer than all these pastors all put together here. And I'm going to tell you something. Communication is the key. It truly is. It is the key. And you know what? You guys already know it. God made us different, didn't he? Men and women are so different. Venus, Mars, wherever. I don't know where we came from. But God made us that way. We're wired differently. We really, really are. When it comes to sex, I'm going to tell you something. You know, 
A woman responds to words. Romance. A man, he just sees something and goes, wow. I was thinking about it, Adam. He'd been looking at animals this whole time. And then all of a sudden, God made probably the most beautiful woman. I'm serious. I, I believe she was probably the most beautiful woman there's ever been on this planet. And he was probably the most beautiful looking stud there's ever been on this planet. Can I say stud? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Man. And I'm sure he went, wow. That's why he called you a woman. <laughs> But, you know, we are different, aren't we? I mean, that's just how it is. My wife loves it when I, when I, when I say nice things to her. She really does. A couple of days ago and stuff, I, I said, man, honey, you look beautiful today. She really does. She looks beautiful. You know, she, when I look at her sometimes, she's, she looks like that 14-year-old girl I fell in love with years and years ago. She really does. And I mean that. But men, you need to tell your wife how beautiful they are. I'm going to tell you, they will respond to those words. They really will. And ladies, you know what? Put on some nice clothes. Put some makeup on. I'm just telling you. There's a lot of women out there that are looking pretty good. You know what I'm saying? And the devil's out there looking around and trying to tempt people. And you know that. I, I'm, I am dead serious. Don't just give up on yourselves. You know, my wife will go, man, you're looking a little bit like that. I said, it's okay, I'm married to you now, you know. <laughs> but he says, don't deprive each other. That was an aesthetic culture that they had. Literally, it means don't keep that back from them. In other words, don't use sex as a leverage to get what you want. You know, rated R. That happens sometimes in marriage. It's terrible. It should never, ever be like that. Never was intended to be like that. Paul gives one reason why you need to just kind of, you know, just put that aside for the moment. He says it's for prayer. And most of us don't pray together anyway, so this probably doesn't even relate to us. You know, we don't spend great lengthy times in prayer with one another. We just don't do that. He says do it for a limited amount of time. How long? I don't know. Communication again. Agree on how long you want to do that. And then get back together again. And he says, look at you need to do that. You, you need to be careful. You know, or, or, or Satan's going gonna, to tempt you. You know, if you're not having th that good intimate relationship with your spouse, temptation can arise, guys. Well, only Paul, being married, could know that. He really could. I talked to a guy today on the job site, and him and I were talking. He was a Christian believer and I, I never even talked to him before and stuff and, and he goes was Paul married I said you better believe he was and, and he told me he goes I don't know how he could have known all this without not being married Phillips translation and James says this and remember when you are being tempted do not say God is tempting me God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else temptation comes from our what own desires which entice us and drag us away these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, The temptations in your lives, and in my lives is what he's trying to say, are no different than what others experience. You're, you're not getting any kind of temptation that nobody else is going through. God, uh, he goes, and God is faithful. He will not allow 
the temptation to be more than you can what? Stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a, a way out so that you can endure it. There's always an exit. You know, God, sometimes we get ourselves in places we shouldn't be. You know, we get on some website or we're watching something we shouldn't be doing or picking something up or whatever it might be. There, God's always got the exit signs. Like in the back of our auditorium here, those exit signs are right there. They're flashing at you, and it just depends on what are you going to do with it. Are you going to take off and run to it or not? Let's go on. Six and seven. That's enough on that section. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Paul's opinion is that being single is a good thing. And he'll get more into it in the next section. So I'm not going to hit on it too much where he'll make his case. It's a gift to be married. It's a gift to be single. It really is. And, you know, not everybody has to be married. They really don't. Now, I know sometimes it's hard for singles. They feel left out. I know they do. And I know they do even in churches. And we need to work hard at, at, at not making singles feel left out. It's usually about married couples and stuff. But how many single people we got here? Look at that. It's amazing, isn't it? A lot of single people make up the church nowadays. Truly does. But God gives the gift of celibacy. He truly does. How do you know if you got the gift? You're single. That's a good one. You're single. Now, I, I think with the gift of celibacy, and I know somebody that has that, and, and I asked them, and I said, well, how are your desires? How, how are all of those urges? How are those things? And they said, they, they stay in check. They don't have to struggle through that. I think if God gives you that gift of celibacy, it stays in check. It really is. I'm going to give you guys, and listen, because we're running late, two minutes. That's all, all right, on your table. And, and I, I just want you to share really quick, okay, for the singles. Do we have that on there? I think I put a question up there. We got the question? No? Yeah? I don't know. For you single people, all right? I want you to just share one thing that you like or you enjoy about singles. And for you married people, one thing that you like or enjoy about marriage or about your spouse. All right? Two minutes. And I mean it. <laughs> Quickly. I'm putting my timer on.
One minute left. She wants to sing you a song. Oh, maybe later. <laughs> Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. All right, guys. Wrap it up. All right, let's go on. All right, verses 8 through 9, it says this. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. So Paul addresses widows. He addresses the unmarried people that are in there. And basically, again, Paul encourages singleness. You know, I mean, tonight, I, I was amazed. There's probably half the people in here that are single in our congregation. Paul talks a lot about singleness. Later on, he'll talk about the reason why he believes that people should stay single because there's this present crisis, which who's ever teaching on that, you can figure out what that is. And also that your interests are divided. In other words, married person... You know, they have their interests divided because they have spouses that they have to deal with. But Paul says, look, if your urges, if your desires are getting the best of you, by all means, go get married. By all means, go get married. To the younger widows, he says this in 1 Timothy. Sending it to a young pastor, pastor in a pretty good-sized church, he said this in 1 Timothy 5. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, take care of their homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow who? Satan. That's a heavy thing. You know, in preparation of this teaching, and I, I, I taught this years and years ago a couple times, uh, I, was, I was listening to old Chuck Smith who's gone to be with Jesus now. I used to listen to a lot of his messages. And, and Chuck was sharing that there's, there's four kind of natural desires, you know, that we have, four natural drives that we have, you know. Number one thing is to breathe, to have air. The second thing is, is thirst and then hunger. And then there is just the sex drive that we have. God gave us all those things. We need help. You know, I don't drink a lot of water. I've been dehydrated my whole life. <laughs> I have. And, and there's very few times when it really kicks in. If I'm in the backcountry fly fishing or something, it's 100 and some odd degrees. There's been times when I'm really, really parched. When I preach sometimes, I get pretty parched. And that, and that thirst drive just really, really kicks in. 
But God gave those things to us. Part of the reason why he gave the sex drive is so we could multiply and be fruitful. That's why he gave us those things. Better to marry is this than to burn with lust. You know, for you single people, if you're dating one another, boy, you need to pray that you guys stay pure with one another. You do. You have to do that. Hang around other people all the time. Be careful. You can fall into the trap and the snare of the devil so easily. It's just, oh, it's, it's, it's just hard. You know, if you're burning with lust, that's not the best reason to get married. You know what the best reason to get married? You can't live without that person. Did you hear that? You can't live without that person. That's lost. Don't just marry the first person coming along. Make sure you marry somebody that you can't live without. That's how I feel with my wife. When I first met her, I was 16, she was 14. I knew I said, I can't live without this man. We broke up about three or four times over the years, dating for five and a half years. Couldn't live without her. Still can't today. But you know, I was thinking about this. I was going, you know, there's so many older people, and you hear people say this so many times. They say, oh, we've just, we, we just, we've, we're just falling apart. You know what I mean? We're just not close anymore. Well, gee, really? You know, if you don't work at staying together, you will fall further and further and further apart. Do you understand what I'm saying? That takes communication. It takes, it takes work to have a good marriage, guys. Takes work. Is it worthwhile? You better believe it is. But it takes work to have a good marriage, and it's both spouses working together. It truly does. Let's go on. Verse ten through eleven. Trying to wrap this up real quick here. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she leaves him. Let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. What he's talking about, he's addressing the whole issue on divorce. And we're not going to do a real extensive thing on it. I think we did that on a Sunday morning here. Matter of fact, we go back on some of the teachings. But basically what he's trying to stay here, say here is that you need to stay together. If you separate and pull apart, you need to get reconciled with one another. That's what you need to do. And then he says, look, these aren't my words. He says, these are the words of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 19, listen to Jesus here. Some of the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And back in that culture at that time, men were divorcing their wives, Jewish men, for almost just anything. Burning their toes, I mean, you know, whatever it might be. Seriously, they would just write on the thing and they were gone. That was it. Women weren't divorcing the men. The men were divorcing the wives. So here's Jesus. They ask him that question, and he says this to these Pharisees. He goes, haven't you guys read the scriptures? That's kind of sarcastic is what he says. Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they no longer, excuse me, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I've used that phrase sometimes when I'm doing a marriage ceremony. Then why did Jesus, this is them saying to him again, 
see in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your what? Your hard hearts. To your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless his wife has been unfaithful. In verse 10, Jesus' disciples, notice what they say. Then they said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Wow, these are the guys following Jesus. In other words, they understood this is a big commitment. When you stand up and say, I do, that's a big commitment. You know, I thought long about this. And I didn't catch this when I taught this when I was younger. But I really believe that God wanted mankind to experience the blessings of marriage. The blessings of it. And listen, not the pain and not the problems, not the scars that come from divorce. And some of those scars and those pains and those things that a lot of you have gone through, they're lifelong. They'll be with you probably the rest of your life. And I really believe that Jesus never wanted us to suffer the hardships that divorce brings. That's why when I look back at Malachi, I, I, I saw the words of, of God different when he says he hates divorce. You know why he hates it? Because there's so much pain and hurt and sorrow that people experience through it. That's the heart of our father. I hope my son and my, his wife never go through that. The pain of that would kill me. And, and see, that's how our father feels about that. He didn't want us to experience that. There was an alarming thing that I read. It said that 40% of young people that would get married today, they say they'll be divorced in the future. That's terrible. And I'm telling you, in our society has made it so easy to get a divorce. Our courts have made it so easy to get a divorce. It's terrible. How many of you guys in this place, and I'm not talking about friends, I'm talking about either your parents, either yourself, or either uh, a, a relative of yours has been divorced? Raise your hand. Look at that. Almost everybody in the whole place. And my hand's up too. God never intended it to be that way. You see, in the heart of the Father, He never intended it to ever be like that. All right, let's close this up pretty quick here. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would be, excuse me, would not be holy, but now they are holy. Verse 15. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Verse 16. 
don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? I'm going to go through this quickly because we spent a lot of time talking about two different things here. He's talking about a spouse who's willing to stay and a spouse who is not willing to stay stay with the person. One is a believer, one is a non-believer. It appears that we might have both been unbelievers at one time. One ends up getting saved and the other one isn't. You guys understand that part? And what he's basically saying is, look, if the unbeliever is willing to stay, it's good. You know, don't, 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 don't push them out. Let them, let, let them, you know, if, if they, if they want to stay, let them stay. Don't send them away. And then for the unbelievers not willing to stay, that says, look, I just can't take this. That's what Paul's wife might have done. He says, just let them go. Just let them go. Try and encourage them to stay. I think there's what I'm hearing there. But you know what? If they just insist on it, you just, you just let them go. And he says, you're free. You're not, you're not bound to that person. God's called us to peace. And those kids living in, in, in a family where there's a, a believer and a non-believer, they are sanctified. God's, I'm telling you, what he does there is, is, is his presence is in that home because of that one believer. And that God does a special work on those kids and on that mate who might not be saved. His grace is there in a very, very special way. I know people that have been in that kind of relationship to where they were both sinners, you know, and unbelievers, and then they got married, one got saved, and, and guess what? God got the other person saved. And all the kids are following Jesus and the whole thing. It's, it's just a great, great blessing that can happen because of that. Because the believer can save the mate. Philip's translation in 1 Peter says this, and we're almost done. In the same spirit, you married women should adapt yourself to your husbands so that even if they do not obey the word of God, they may be one to God without any word being spoken. You hear that, ladies? You don't have to keep a thing. Simply by seeing the pure and reverent conduct that you, their wives. You know, if you've been divorced, and I know we've got divorced people that are in here. Look it. My heart and God's heart is that you don't feel ashamed. That you don't feel ashamed, you don't feel bad, you don't feel guilty. Because Romans 8, 1 says this. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. None. Our loving creator God never intended us to feel the sting of divorce. He never did. I believe that with my whole heart. And I encourage you couples that are in this place, work hard on your marriages. You've got to do that. You need to talk. You need to be best friends. I mean, you need to have a physical and a, and a, a spiritual relationship that's just, that's just beautiful and wonderful. And for all you single people, half the people here today, enjoy being single. Don't feel bad about it. Use it for, for God. Use it for Him. And for all of us, we've got to fight temptation, don't we? It's out there, man. It's terrible. I, I hate to see where our world is at this, at this time. But my little grandkids, wow. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Galatians 5.16, and we'll end with this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Let's pray.
God, help us to be people who walk by the Spirit. I mean, I was struck by that. I was just meditating on that, Lord, that if we find ourselves in your Spirit, Lord, we, we, we aren't going to carry out the desire of our flesh. So help us to stay close to you, Lord. Help us to cling to you. Help us to run to you, Lord. Help us to call upon you when maybe we're feeling sad and lonely, Lord, and we just need somebody to be there for us. And thank you so much that, Lord, you are always there with us, whether we feel you or we don't feel you, because you said you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen.